The Humbugs of the World by P. T. Barnum. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Eddie Winter. The Humbugs of the World by P. T. Barnum. Banner of Light. Messages from the Dead. Spiritual civilities, spirit hollowing, Hans von Fleet, the female Dutchman, Mrs. Conant's circles, Payne's table tipping humbug exposed. Chapter fifteen. The Banner of Light, a weekly journal of romance, literature, and general intelligence, published in Boston, is the principal organ of spiritualism in this country. Its general intelligence is rather questionable, though there is no doubt about it being a journal of romance, strongly tinctured with humbug and imposture. It has a message department, the proprietors of the paper claiming that each message in this department of the banner was spoken by the spirit whose name it bears, through the instrumentality of Mrs. J. H. Conant, while in an abnormal condition called the trance. I give a few specimens of these messages. Thus, for instance, discourseth the ghost of Lolly. How do? Don't know me, do you? Know George Lolly? Yes, how do you do? I'm first rate. I'm dead. Ain't you afraid of me? You know, I was familiar with those sort of things, so I wasn't frightened to go. Well, won't you say to the folks that I'm all right and happy, that I didn't suffer a great deal, had a pretty severe wound, got over that all right, went out from Petersburg. I was in the battle before Petersburg. Got my discharge from there. Remember me kindly to Mr. Lord. Well, tell him as soon as I get the wheels a little greased up and in running order, I'll come back with the good things as I said I would. George W. Lolly. Goodbye. Immediately, after a message from the spirit of John Morgan, the gorilla, came one from Giles Talbot, who began as follows with a curious apostrophe to his predecessor. Hiya, old grizzly. It's lucky for you I didn't get in ahead of you. I am Charlie Talbot of Chambersburg, Pennsylvania, was wounded in action, captured by the rebels, and died on their hands as they served the horse. It seems a little rude for one spirit to term another old grizzly, but such may be the style of compliment prevailing in the spirit world. Here is what Brother Clink said. John Clink of the 25th South Carolina. I want to open communication with Thomas Lafar, Charleston, South Carolina. I am deucedly ignorant about this coming back dead railroad business. It's new business to me, as I suppose it will be to some of you when you travel this way. So I will do the best I can to communicate with my friends, if they will give me an opportunity. I desire Mr. Lafar to send my letter to my family when he receives it. He knows where they are. And then report to this office. Good night, afternoon or morning. I don't know which. I walked out at Petersburg. Here is a message from George W. Gage, with some of the questions which he answered. How do you like your new home? First rate. I like say-ho. 
I likes to come here, for they clears all the truck away before you get round, and fix up, so you can talk right off. Wasn't you a medium? No, sir, I wasn't afraid, though, nor my mother ain't either. Oh, I knew about it, I knew before I come to die, about it. My mother told me about it. I knew I'd be a woman when I come here too. Did you? Yes, sir. My mother told me, and said I mustn't be afraid. Oh, I don't like that, but I likes to come. I forgot, sir. My mother's deaf, and always had to holler. That gentleman says, folks ain't deaf here. The observable points are first that he seems to have excused his hollowing by the habits consequent upon his mother's deafness. The hollowing consisted of unusually heavy thumping, I suppose. But the second point is of far greater interest. George intimates that he has changed his sect and become a woman. For this important alteration his good mother had prepared his mind. This style of thing will not seem so strange if we consider that some men become old women before they die. Here is another case of feminification and restitution combined. Hans von Fleet has become a vrouw, what you may call a female Dutchman. It has always been claimed that women are purer and better than men, and accordingly we see that as soon as Hans became a woman, he insisted on his widow's returning to a Jew two thousand dollars at naughty Hans, at Christian the poor Hebrew out of. But let Hans tell his own story. I was Hans von Fleet, when I was here. I was von Fleet here. I is one frau now. I is one frau when I comes back. I was no frau when I was here. Alluding to the fact that he was temporarily occupying the form of our medium. I wish you to know that I first live in Harlem, state of New York. When I was here, I take something I had no right to take, something that no belongs to me. I take something. I take two thousand dollars that was no my own. That's what I come back to say about. I first have some dealings with one Jew. That's what you call him. He likes to Jew me, and I likes to Christian him. I belongs to the Dutch Reformed Church. Do you think you were a good member? Well, I was. I believes in the creed. I takes a sacrament. I lives up to it outside. I know lives up to it inside, I suppose. How do you find yourself now, Hans? Well, I finds myself... Well, I, I don't know. I not feel very happy... When I comes to this spirit land, I first meet that Jew's brother, and he tells me, Hans, you must go back and make some right with my brother. So I comes here. I wants my frau, what I left in Harlem, to take that two thousand dollars and gives it back to that Jew's frau. That's what I came for today, sir. Has your frau got it? Well, my frau has got it in a tin box. When I first go, I take some money, I gives it to my frau, and she takes care of it. Now I wants my frau to give that two thousand dollars to that Jew's frau. 
How do you spell your name? The Frau knows how to spell. Hans von Fleet. There's something you'll cross in it. The Frau spells the rest. Ah, that's wrong. You makes a blunder. It's V, not F. That's like all Fraus. Do all Fraus make blunders? Well, I don't know. All do sometimes, I suppose. Didn't you like Fraus here? Oh, well, I likes him sometimes. I likes my own Frau. I no likes to be a Frau myself. Don't the clothes fit? Oh, well, I suppose they fits. But I not likes to wear what not becomes me. It is scarcely necessary to make comments on such horrible nonsense as this. I may recur to the subject in future, should it appear expedient. At present, I must drop the subject of female men. At the head of the message department is a standing advertisement which reads as follows. Our three circles are held at number 158, Washington Street, room number 4, upstairs on Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday afternoons. The circle room will be open for visitors at two o'clock. Services commence at precisely three o'clock, after which time no one will be admitted. Donations solicited. On the days and at the hour mentioned in the above advertisement, quite an audience assembles to hear the messages Mrs. C. may have to deliver. If a stranger present should request a message from one of his spirit friends, he would be told that a large number of spirits were seeking to communicate to that instrument, and each must await his turn. Having read obituary notices in the files of old newspapers, and the published list of those recently killed in battle, the medium has data for any number of messages. She talks in the style that she imagines the person whom she attempts to personate would use, being one of the doctrines of spiritualism that a person's character and feelings are not changed by death. To make the humbug more complete, she narrates imaginary incidents asserting them to have occurred in the earth experience of the spirit who purports to have possession of her at the same time she is speaking. Mediums in various parts of the country furnish her with the names of, and facts relative to, different deceased people of their acquaintance, and those names and facts are used by her in supplying the message department of the Banner of Light. If the assumed mediumship of this woman was not an imposture, some of the many people who have visited for the purpose of getting communication from their spirit friends would have been gratified. In most of the messages published in the Banner, the spirits purporting to give them express a great desire to have their mortal friends receive them. But those mortals who seek to obtain through Mrs. Conant satisfactory messages from their spirit friends are not gratified. The medium not being posted. The mediums are as much opposed to new tests as a non-committal politician. Time and again have leading spiritualists in various parts of the country endorsed as spiritual manifestations what was subsequently proved to be an imposture. Several years ago a man by the name of Payne created a great sensation in Worcester, Massachusetts by causing a table to move without contact. He claiming that it was done by spirits through his mediumship. 
he subsequently came to new york and exhibited the manifestation at the house of a spiritualist where he boarded in the upper part of the city a great many spiritualists and not a few sceptics went to see his performance Payne was a very soft-spoken good sort of a fellow and appeared to be quite sincere in his claims to mediumship he received no fee from those who witnessed his exhibition and that fact in connection with others tended to disarm people of suspicion his seances were held in the evening and each visitor was received by him at the door and immediately conducted to a seat next to the wall of the room the visitors all in and seated mr payne took a seat with the rest in the circle in the middle of the room a small table had previously been placed and the gas had been turned partly off leaving just enough light to make objects look ghostly in order to get harmonized singing was indulged in for a short time by members of the circle soon a number of raps would be heard in the direction of the table and one side of that piece of furniture would be seen to rise about an inch from the floor some very naturally wanted to rush to the table and investigate the matter more closely but Payne forbade that the necessary conditions must be observed he said or there would be no further manifestations of spirit power as there was no one nearer to the table than six or eight feet the fact of its moving very naturally astonished the sceptics present several seeing mediums who attended mr payne's seances were able to see the spirits so they declared who moved the table one was described as a big injun who cut various capers and appeared to be much delighted with the turn of affairs believers were wonderfully well pleased to know that at last a medium was developed through whom the inhabitants of another world could manifest their presence to mortals in such a way that no one could gainsay the fact the invisibles freely responded by raps on the table to various questions asked by those in the circle they thumped time to lively tunes and seemed to have a decidedly good time of it in their particular way when the seance was concluded mr payne freely permitted an examination of his table in the sunday spiritual conferences then held in clinton hall leading spiritualists gave an account of the manifestations of the spirits through mr payne and as believers congratulated themselves upon the existence of such indubitable facts the spiritualist in whose house this exhibition of table moving without contact took place was well known as a man of strict honesty and it was reasonably presumed that no mechanical contrivance could be used without his cognizance in thus moving a piece of his furniture for the table belonged to him and that he would countenance a deception was out of the question there were in the city three gentlemen who had for some time been known as spiritualists but they were at the period of payne's debut as a medium in new york very sceptical with regard to physical manifestations they had a short time before detected the davenports and other professed mediums in the practice of imposture and they determined not to accept as true payne's pretence to mediumship till after a thorough investigation of his manifestations they should fail to find a material cause for them
After attending several of his seances, these gentlemen concluded that Payne moved the table by means of a mechanical contrivance fixed under the floor. One of this trio of investigators was a mechanic, and he had conceived a way, and it seemed to him the only way, in which the manifestation could be produced under the circumstances that apparently attended it. Payne was a mechanic, and these parties were aware of that fact. They made an appointment with him for a private séance. The evening fixed upon, having arrived, they met with him at his room. The table was raised, and raps were made upon it, as had been done on previous occasions. One of the three investigators stepped to the door of the room, locked it, put the key in his pocket, took off his coat, and told Mr. Payne that he was determined to search his, Payne's, person, and that if he did not find about him a small, short iron rod, by means of which through a hole in the floor a lever underneath was worked in moving the table, he, the speaker, would beg his, Mr. Payne's, pardon, and be forever after a firm believer in the power of disembodied spirits to move ponderable bodies. This impressive little speech had a decided and instant effect upon the medium. "'Gentlemen,' said the latter, "'I might as well own up. "'Please to be quietly seated, "'and I will tell you all about it.' "'And he did tell them all about it, "'subsequently repeating his confession "'before quite a number of disgusted "'and cheaply sold spiritualists "'at the New York Spirit Lyceum. "'The theory formed by one of the three investigators "'referred to as to Payne's method of moving the table "'was singularly correct.' Whilst the family with whom Payne boarded was away one day, in attendance at a funeral, he took up several of the floorboards of the back parlour, and on the underside of them affixed a lever with a crosspiece at one end of it, and in the ends of the crosspiece bits of wire were inserted, the wire being just as far apart as the legs of the table to be moved. Small holes were made in the floorboards for the wire to come through, to reach the table legs. The other end of the lever came within an inch or two of the wall. When all the arrangements were completed, and the table being properly placed in order to move it, Mr. Payne had only to insert one end of a short iron rod in a hole in the heel of his boot, put the other end of the rod through a hole in the floor, just under the edge of the carpet near the wall, and then press the rod down upon the end of the lever. The movements necessary in fixing the iron rod to its place were executed while he was picking up his handkerchief that he had purposely dropped. The middle of the lever was attached to the floor, and the end with the crosspiece being the heavier brought the other end up close against the floor, the wires in the crosspiece having their points just within the bottom of the holes in the floor. The room was carpeted, and there were little marks on the carpet known only to pain that enabled him to know just where to place the table. Pressing down the end of the lever nearest the wall an inch would bring the wires in the crosspiece on the other end of the lever against the legs of the table and slightly raise the latter. One of the wires would strike the table leg very little before the other did, and that enabled the medium to very nicely wrap time to the tunes that were sung or played. 
of course no holes that any one could observe would be made in the carpet by the passage of the wires through it for appearance's sake pain before his detection visited by invitation the houses of several different spiritualists for the purpose of holding seances but he never got a table to move without contact in any other than the place where he had properly prepared the conditions. End of chapter 15